Good morning, Crossway. It's a privilege to open up God's Word with you this morning. I'm very thankful for this opportunity, especially as we approach Christmas. Um, We've had our tree up since the day after Harvest Fest, so (laughs) there you go. We love Christmas. It truly is the most wonderful time of the year. If you think there's a better holiday than Christmas, then you're in sin. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's not sin, but you are wrong. (laughs) This morning, we have the privilege of looking to Christmas, um, looking at somewhat of a Christmas text. Uh, We'll be in Luke 2. Um, It's only right that we do so. Um, But before I do that, let me pray. Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity to gather together this morning. Lord, it is an amazing opportunity every time we get to hear from your word. I pray that by your spirit, you would pierce our hearts and we would see the glory of the incarnation. Lord, as we approach Christmas, I pray that it isn't just something that we get so used to and we look over, but we just rejoice and remember that God became a man. Lord, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. In the 1960s, there was a missionary named Don Richardson that went to Indonesia with his wife, Carol, and their baby girl. They went there to minister to the Sawi tribe. Now, this tribe, they had never heard about forgiveness. They had never heard about Jesus Christ. They never heard about the salvation that God offers. And so the Richardsons, they went there to declare this message. But there was a big problem. The Sawi tribe, they couldn't wrap their minds around the concept of mercy and forgiveness. It was always retribution. It was always giving people exactly what they deserved. And so although they were hearing the message, it wasn't clicking. But Don Richardson he noticed something that the tribe had done. There was a period of time where different groups in this tribe would break out into battles in the village. And the way that they would make peace was that there was a designated individual that would bring a child of their own to the opposing group. And that would be known as the peace child. They would hand the baby over from one group to another to the other in order to show that they would not attack you because that you had one of their own. It is this peace child that will maintain the peace. And so Richardson, he realized this, and he began to explain to them that there was a greater peace child. God the Father would give his son to the enemy to bring about peace and reconciliation, and he writes this. He says, there was a breakthrough among the Sawi. They began recognizing that Jesus Christ was God's peace child, the ultimate peace child. This morning, as we approach Christmas, I want you to consider, why is Christmas so important? Why does Christmas matter? Why is Jesus' birth worth celebrating even after Christmas has passed? And in our text this morning, Luke 2 Verses 22 to 35, 
we will go to this individual named Simeon who will help us answer this. Why does Christmas matter? Three answers from Simeon in Luke's gospel. Christmas matters because Jesus was born to identify with humanity. Number two, Jesus was born to comfort humanity. And then number three, because Jesus was born to divide humanity. So if you're not there already, take your copy of God's word and turn with me to Luke chapter 2, verses 22 to 35. Here we have this story of Jesus being presented at the temple. <clears throat> Luke 2, 22 to 35. It says, And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is the very word of the living God. How do you continue celebrating the birth of Jesus all throughout the year? By realizing that Jesus was born to identify with humanity. We're familiar with the fact that Jesus was born a child. We see that here. We sing about it at Christmas. Some people sing about it a lot earlier than others. We see the baby in the manger in the nativity in maybe your front yard or on the shelf. But we also know because of God's word that this isn't just a normal baby. This isn't just an ordinary child. Mary was told that she would give birth to the Most High. This isn't a normal baby. This is the one who reigns for all eternity. He is the king. When it is revealed to her from the angel that she would have this baby, remember she asks, well, how is this going to happen since I am a virgin? The angel says it will be a supernatural conception with a normal birth. God himself is going to take on flesh. Think about this. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, three persons, one God, who existed in eternity before all of creation. 
Now, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, wraps himself in human flesh. And when he does this, he does not lose his deity. He is still fully and truly God. And he takes on humanity. He humbles himself, not by subtracting anything from himself, but by adding humanity. He isn't 50-50. This isn't Greek mythology. Jesus is not Hercules. He is truly God and truly man. In the incarnation, the infinite became finite. Eternity entered into time. The invisible became visible. The creator entered his creation. It is what we call the hypostatic union. Two natures in one person. The God-man, Jesus Christ. God, he has revealed himself to man in the creation, in the Old Testament scriptures, and supremely and most clearly in Jesus Christ. And here he is identifying with his own creation. He's identifying with humanity by becoming a person. And now you might ask, okay, why? What is the purpose of that? Is this just some biblical undercover boss type thing? You know, the show where the CEO puts on the employee outfit. He gets in disguise to see what it's like to be one of his employees. Is this just God trying to identify with us? Does he just want to know what it's like to be sad or hungry or tired? Does God just want to know us better? No. Luke tells us why God has put on flesh. He has come for a purpose, and from the beginning, he identifies with that purpose, and we find it in verse 21 of chapter 2. We see at the end of eight days, side note, it's technically not a Christmas sermon. It's eight days after, sorry. But eight days after he was born, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel, before he was conceived in the womb. Now, this might seem like a strange detail, right? That after a certain time, eight days, this baby was circumcised. Why do we need to know that? If you're familiar with the Christmas story in the previous chapter, when Mary celebrates the coming of the Messiah, and when the angels make a declaration of the coming of the Messiah, it is always connected to a covenant that was made with Abraham. God said through his seed would come a child that would bless the nations. And the angels make that declaration, this is him. For Jesus to get circumcised means that he is identifying with that covenant. Because in order to be a faithful Jew, to fulfill the law, you had to be circumcised. This was the sign that God had given to Abraham and now that God who gave the sign is fulfilling it now himself. Jesus is identifying with humanity and fulfilling the law. Also in Israel, eight days after giving birth, it was mandatory for a woman to go to the temple for the rite of purification after childbirth. A woman was considered to be ceremonially unclean. And it was also a time to offer sacrifices. Sin offerings were required. And normally the offerings that were made were twofold. In the first place, a lamb was brought and sacrificed on the altar. And then 
an additional offering of a single pigeon or a turtle dove was made, except in special circumstances. In the law, there was a provision made for those who were especially poor. Instead of the sacrificial lamb and the pigeon or turtle dove, if you were poor, you were allowed to substitute a second turtle dove instead of the lamb. Turtle doves could be bought for very cheap. So you could sacrifice two instead of a lamb and a turtle dove. And so what does this tell us about Mary and Joseph? This text tells us something of the early poverty of Jesus' life. His humble background. Mary and Joseph were so poor. This family that our great Savior was born into was one of extreme poverty. Our God really humbled himself, didn't he? But not only was Jesus brought to the temple to undergo the rite of purification, he was also brought to be dedicated to the Lord. The Old Testament required of Jewish parents that the firstborn male child should be consecrated to God. Of course, many parents went through the motions. They just went through the procedure just because it was their custom. They didn't take it seriously. But in this case, this child that was being dedicated had a special mission to fulfill as one as the one who was supremely dedicated to God. We see that from the very beginning of his life, by his parents, he was subjected, he was dedicated, he fulfilled all the most minute requirements of the Old Testament law. In the life of Jesus, we see one who is dedicated completely to fulfill every obligation that God laid upon his people. Jesus was born to identify with humanity. Galatians 4, 4 and 5 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. We see the law here. He's born under that law. To redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Before God, we stand guilty. Under the law, we are guilty. But God the Son wrapped himself in human flesh and identified with us so that he could be our representative, so that he could stand in our place, so that he could die in our place. He fulfilled the law and lived perfectly like we couldn't. He took the wrath of God like we should have so that we could be redeemed and be adopted. And if you've put your faith in Christ, when God looks at us, he sees his son's work. Thank God he doesn't see ours anymore, right? Thank God that Jesus was born to identify with humanity. This family, this poor family comes to sacrifice for the covering of their sins while holding the ultimate sacrifice in their hands. Mary and Joseph are here spilling these animals' blood to temporarily cover their sin. They are engaging in these sacrifices that foreshadow the true and better sacrifice, the true and better blood that would be, that would be spilled to cover sin permanently. They come to sacrifice while holding the ultimate sacrifice in their hands. 
The second reason why Christmas matters is because Jesus was born to comfort humanity. Comfort humanity. Look at verse 25. This is where we get introduced to Simeon. Very little is known about this man. But this profile that we get from Luke gives us, um, it's loaded with significance. We see that Simeon was righteous and devout. He was an old man who had spent his life probably looking for the consolation of Israel. Now that phrase, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? The consolation of Israel. This phrase is used in the Bible to call attention to the Jewish hope of the coming Messiah. Think of the word consoling. The Jews who have gone through a lot, and we see that on Sunday mornings as we go through Exodus, the Jews have been through a lot. They have groaned in times of bondage. They've wept in times of exile. And now they're being oppressed under the superpower of Rome. And they looked to heaven for their release from suffering. You see it as people who experience constant grief and frustration and pain who need to be consoled. When someone loses a family member, you might give them words of consolation or give them a hug to console them. We are told also that the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon. This doesn't indicate a momentary appearance or manifestation of the Holy Spirit upon a man to do a mighty deed or something. This isn't like the occasions we sometimes see in the Old Testament, like when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon Samson or Gideon or other leaders to do mighty things. These weren't lasting and abiding anointings from the Holy Spirit. But the context of this statement indicates that the Holy Spirit was abiding on Simeon. Simeon was especially singled out by God to be uniquely gifted by the Holy Spirit. We read in verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Imagine living after hearing that. His friends would say, Simeon, don't climb that ladder. Don't go down that road. You might get killed. And Simeon, I'm fine. Don't worry. I haven't seen the Messiah yet. God revealed to him that he wouldn't see death without meeting the Messiah. Luke, he doesn't tell us exactly how he receives this revelation. All we know is that he did. God privately told Simeon that before he died, he would see the Messiah with his own eyes. I wonder how he handled that information. Do you think he ever doubted it? Do you think he ever told any of his friends that he got this special revelation from God? When I think of Simeon, I think of salt and light, our ministry. I think of an old faithful saint, an old saint who spent his days in the temple, coming into the temple each morning, looking around, and the priest in the temple would say, Simeon, what are you doing? What are you looking for? And Simeon say, said, well, I just came today and see, to see and check if the Messiah was here. And he would be disappointed day after day. But God had told him that he would see the Messiah, so he waited. 
He waited on the Lord. And he went time after time. He trusted the Lord. He was devoted. But every time he went to look for him, he was nowhere to be seen. The promise had not yet been revealed, fulfilled. But then one day, as was his custom, he came to the temple, and we read he came in the Spirit. The Spirit led him there. And Luke tells us that when the parents brought in the little eight-day-old Jesus, Simeon received him into his arms and blessed God. Simeon saw this poor peasant couple holding a baby, maybe still wrapped in swaddling cloths. But instantly, by the gift of the Holy Spirit, he recognized the Savior. He recognized the Messiah, the promised one who would comfort Israel, the one who would console them, the one who would save them. But not just Israel, the Savior who would save the world, all who would believe in him. As Simeon receives this baby into his arms, he bursts into a song. He says in verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Do you see what's behind this song? Oh, Lord, I don't have to watch this baby grow up. I don't have to watch him talk with the men in the temple. I don't have to watch him multiply the fish and the loaves to feed the 5,000. I don't need to see that to believe. I don't need to watch him walk on water or turn water into wine. I don't need to be at the cross. I don't have to be an eyewitness of the ascension or resurrection I have seen all that I need to see, and now I can die in peace. One glimpse at this baby, the Christ child, and Simeon was ready to go home to God. Simeon was faithful all along, but when the promise was fulfilled, he didn't run out into the streets and say, I told you so. He didn't run out and tell all his friends. He didn't care for one minute that his reputation needed to be or was vindicated, he saw the Savior and he was ready to enter into his rest, to experience the peace that Israel so desperately needed, that he waited for so patiently. Simeon's hope was fulfilled. His joy was complete. And he was content to die. With his own eyes, he had seen God's salvation personified in this infant Jesus. After countless years of slavery, wandering in the desert, war, pain, suffering, exile. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. But even worse than that. You might ask, what could be even worse than that? After countless years of sin, idolatry, rebellion to God, looking to other gods for comfort, other things for comfort looking to created things to satisfy. After all this time, the seed of the woman, the consolation is here. Jesus is here. We were all so desperate, dead in our sin, doomed to hell. But when the fullness of time had come, 
Jesus was born. Jesus was born to identify with humanity, and he was born to comfort humanity. He was the Savior that we so desperately needed. He was born to this poor family in extreme poverty. Surely he can come comfort the poorest and weariest of souls. The third reason why Christmas matters is because Jesus was born to divide humanity. He was born to divide humanity. As Simeon sang his song, we read that the parents of Jesus marveled at what he said about him. It was great. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary in verse 34, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. The fall and rise of many in Israel. What does he mean by that? Jesus would frequently be called a stumbling stone or a rock of offense. Jesus would be one that many people would come to for strength, to be elevated, to be established, to be set up. But others will trip over him and fall on their faces. The idea here, as everywhere else in the New Testament, is that with Christ, there's no middle ground. You can't be neutral when it comes to Jesus. When a person encounters Christ, he is either for him or against him. He either trips over by him, over him, or is established by him, which fulfills this prophecy of Simeon. Simeon said that Jesus would be a sign to be opposed. This word for sign is significant, and it's very strong. Jesus would be a sign. It indicates a manifestation that's so visible so clear that no one could miss it. It's a word that is often used in the New Testament for a miracle. In John's gospel, when Jesus did a miracle, John would say, and Jesus did this sign. It is a sign that bears witness to the identity of Christ, to his power, his character, as nature, as the son of God. It is a sign that will provide provoke hostility. People will speak against it. Think of the Pharisees. They spent so much time trying to defraud Jesus. These so-called leaders rejected the Messiah that they were waiting for. They said that he was of the devil. They needed to be more like Simeon here. Then, this prophecy becomes much more vivid and personal. Simeon shares a special word for Mary. After hearing the songs and celebration of her new baby, the angels, Simeon tells Mary some bitter news. He gives her a warning. It is a word of sadness, an ominous prophecy of the future. This old faithful saint looked into her young face and said, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. This can only refer to the passion of the Christ, the cross. When Jesus goes to that Roman cross, and Mary was there. Mary was there when her son was crucified. This word for sword refers to a long sword. 
could be used for a spear. Think of Mary standing at the cross when the centurion took a spear and put it into the side of her son. She obviously didn't feel that cold blade herself penetrate her own skin, but she felt it in her soul. You know, every boy is always their mom's little baby. Every man is still their mom's little baby. My mom always tells our daughter Quinn, she says, your dada is my baby. Your dada's baby, but your dada is my baby. Mary watched her little baby go to the cross to bear the weight of God's wrath for us. This little baby who they brought in to be dedicated would be betrayed, beaten, mocked, and crucified. That is the reality of Jesus' life. He was born to die. That was his mission. That was the reason he wrapped himself in human flesh. He didn't come to be some undercover boss. He didn't just come to see what it was like to be a human. Jesus came and identified with us to save us. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Why is Christmas important? Why is Jesus' birth worth celebrating even after Christmas is over? Because God gave his son. Out of love, he gave his son to die to save us. That whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That whosoever believes in him. Even that phrase there, it divides. It divides those who will believe and those who will not. He was born to a divide humanity. Which side of the divide are you on? There are only two roads. There's no middle ground. One to glory and one to destruction. If you haven't trusted in this Jesus, the one who was born to identify with you, to comfort you, then you will be divided away from him. If you haven't trusted in this Jesus, don't leave this building this morning without turning to him. Don't go home without praying to him to save you. Romans 5.8 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were his enemies, God the Son wrapped himself in human flesh and died for us. Later on in verse 18 of Romans 5, it says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the, man's one, what the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, Adam's sin. So that, um, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous, Jesus. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where the sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through the righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Sin and death 
reigned for thousands of years. But this baby would change everything. The first Adam sinned, and because of that, we are all born into sin. That is why Jesus' virgin birth is important. He had to be born without the curse through the seed of Adam. He couldn't be born with the curse. He was born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit so that he wouldn't be born like us with a sin nature. Jesus, the second Adam, the better Adam, born to live the righteous life we were supposed to, born to die the death that we deserve, born to raise from the dead, born to show his mercy on those who would fear him from generation to generation. This is the great reversal of all humanity. It is the great exchange, the gospel, salvation for all who would believe. Because of this baby, the gates of heaven are opened wide. Or like we just sang, he opens heaven's door with the key. He is the key. And people of all different tribes, tongue, and nations are welcome inside now. We should have been denied, but instead God replied, In your place, my son has died. His death brings you life. His innocent blood was shed to erase every trace of sin in the believer's life. Past, present, and future. Like Romans says, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace reigns through righteousness leading to eternal life. Through who? Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's like showing up to a party with a gift exchange, and instead of showing up with a nice present that everyone wants, you show up with your sin. Countless amounts of sin. Who's trading their nice ornament or knife for that? Who's trading for that? Jesus came to trade. Not an ornament, not a knife. Jesus came to trade you his righteousness for your sin. Jesus brought salvation to the gift exchange and you brought sin. And on top of that, he even gifts you with the faith to believe. This is so one-sided. Praise God though, right? Now don't get me started about Santa. Santa is so anti-gospel. Jesus is so much better. Santa has a naughty list and a nice list. You have to be good to be on the nice list. This is works-based salvation. (laughs) This is works-based gift-giving. Biblically, no one is on the nice list. There is none righteous, no, not one. There's no one who does good. There was no one on the nice list. You're all getting coal. There's no one on the nice list except Jesus, and he trades places with you. He had to trade places with you because you were a sinner. If you've trusted in Christ, he traded places with you, and he will never trade back, and he doesn't regret it, not because you were good or because you are good. Not because you worked on yourself. You know how people say that? I'm working on myself. You can't work on yourself enough. 
He didn't do this because you were nice. And he doesn't keep you saved because you're nice. It is all based on his own love and his own grace for his glory alone. Praise God. Now, doesn't that make you want to sing? Doesn't that make you want to serve him? Why do we wake up and get out of the house on Sunday mornings? It's hard if you have kids, just so you know. If you new married people, it's kind of hard. Why do you wake up and get out of bed and go to church on Sunday mornings? Why don't we just rest, sleep in, watch football like our coworkers? Why don't we just roll out of bed and go to a nice brunch? Because God gave his son. Why do we volunteer to do nursery or junior church? I joke with the young adults. Your friends probably think you're so weird for doing that. Wake up, volunteer to work in a nursery. Our culture doesn't like kids. But like, you're watching other people's kids? Why would you volunteer to do that? Why would you work all week to prepare this lesson to teach these little kids? We ain't doing that to teach about Bluey. Why are we doing that? Because God gave his son. Why do you get here to work on music or do slides or the soundboard? Why do you hand out bulletins? Why do you talk to strangers? Why do you invite them to your house for lunch? What motivates someone to do that? Why would you do that? Because God gave his son. Because he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's why. Look what God has done for us. Do you ever just sit and think about Jesus? We don't want him to be something that we're so familiar with that we just overlook him or we just put him in the background. Like a song maybe we've heard a thousand times. We don't want to do that with Jesus. We don't want to ignore him because he just feels or sounds so familiar. We want to cherish him more and more. Like that song that you love and you can play a thousand times. Because you see all the little details. You hear the notes. You hear the melodies. You hear and you know the lyrics. We don't want to get so familiar with Jesus that we just turn him down and set him in the back. He isn't just some background music. The second person of the triune God became a man. This is astonishing. You can't overlook Jesus. The more we learn about him, the sweeter it gets. He was baptized as a man, not because he needed to be purified. He's the one that forgives sins. He was tempted as a man. But he conquered as God. He was hungry. The second person of the Trinity became a man and was hungry. But he fed thousands. He was hungry, but at the same time, he says, he is the bread of life. He was thirsty, but he proclaimed, if any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He was weary and tired. But he is the one who brings rest to those who are weary and heavy laden. Jesus paid taxes. Even though he's the king over those who demanded it. 
Jesus is called a demoniac. But the demons acknowledged him. And he drives those demons into the sea. Jesus prays, but he hears prayer. He weeps, but he causes all tears to cease. He asks where Lazarus is laid because he's man, but he raises Lazarus because he's God. Like we talked about in equipping hour, he was sold for very cheap. 30 pieces of silver. silver. This is ridiculous. But he redeems the world at that great price of his own blood. He is the sheep that is led to the slaughter, but he is the good shepherd. He is the shepherd of Israel and now the whole world. He is bruised and wounded, but he heals every disease and every infirmity. He's lifted up and nailed to the tree, but by the tree of life, he restores us. He even saves the robber that was being crucified with him. He lays down his life, but he has the power to take it up again. The veil is torn, and the mysterious doors of heaven are open. He dies, but gives life. And by his death, he destroys death. Do you ever think about Jesus? I hope that you are celebrating this Christmas season. I hope that you don't just get caught up in the gifts or whatever your family does, whatever traditions you do. Don't get caught up in all that. Don't forget that God sent his son. God gave his son, the ultimate peace child. How can you not sing when thinking about this baby? How can you not worship when thinking about our God? Christmas is just the beginning of the story. Christmas is the hope and the excitement, and it all leads to that old rugged cross where the peace child would suffer and die to pardon and sanctify us. After hearing this, do you feel that classic Christmas song, Joy to the World? The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Receive him. Remember him. Celebrate him. We can all take a lesson from Simeon. Little is said about him, but he is a huge example. Instead of looking to just the first Advent like we do at Christmas, at Advent now we look backwards to Christmas and remember the baby Jesus, the first coming. Now we look forward to the second Advent where our Savior will return and rescue us. Jesus isn't a baby anymore. Can you say you look forward like Simeon? Can you say with Simeon, my eyes have seen your salvation. Let me depart in peace. I pray that we would all be like our old friend Simeon. Pray that we would remember and celebrate Christ, the ultimate peace child. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it is amazing what you have done for us in the incarnation. You have come down to save us when you didn't have to. We were not entitled to a savior, but out of your love and mercy, you sent your son. Lord, I pray that we would never forget this. I pray that we would 
rejoice and sing and worship you for what you've done for us in the gospel. Lord, I pray that it would fuel us, that it would be the engine behind all that we do. Lord, thank you for speaking to us in your word and showing us what you've done for us. Thank you for saving us. I pray that you would save some more. Lord, we love you and thank you. And we can't praise you enough, but we'll try. In Jesus' name, amen.